Chapter 27 of Don Quixote, Volume 2 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Reynard Don Quixote, Volume 2 by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by John Ormsby. Chapter 27 Wherein it is shown who Master Pedro and his ape were, together with the mishap Don Quixote had in the braying adventure, which he did not conclude as he would have liked, or as he had expected. Sidi Amiti, the chronicler of this great history, begins this chapter with these words, I swear as a Catholic Christian, with regard to which his translator says that Sidi Amiti's swearing as a Catholic Christian, he being, as no doubt he was, a Moor, only meant that, just as a Catholic Christian taking an oath swears, or ought to swear, what is true, and tell the truth in what he avers. So he was telling the truth, as much as if he swore as a Catholic Christian, in all he chose to write about, Quixote, especially in declaring who Master Pedro was, and what was the divining ape that astonished all the villagers with his divinations. He says, then, that he who has read the first part of this history will remember well enough the Gines de Passamont, whom, with other galley slaves, Don Quixote set free in the Sierra Morena, a kindness for which he afterwards got poor thanks and worse payment from that evil-minded, ill-conditioned set. This Gines de Passamonte, Don Ginesillo de Parafila, Don Quixote called him, it was that stole Dapple from Sancho Panza, which, because by the fault of the printers, neither the how nor the when was stated in the first part, has been a puzzle to a good many people, who attribute to the bad memory of the author what was the error of the press. In fact, however, Ginez stole him while Sancho Panza was asleep on his back, adopting the plan and device that Brunello had recourse to when he stole Sacripante's horse from between his legs at the siege of Albraca. And, as has been told, Sancho afterwards recovered him. This Ginez then, afraid of being caught by the officers of justice, who were looking for him to punish him for his numberless rascalities and offences, which were so many and so great that he himself wrote a big book giving an account of them, resolved to shift his quarters into the kingdom of Aragon, and cover up his left eye, and take up the trade of a puppet showman. For this, as well as juggling, he knew how to practice to perfection. From some released Christians, returning from Barbary, it so happened, he bought the ape, which he taught to mount upon his shoulder, on his making a certain sign, and to whisper, or seemed to do so in his ear. Thus prepared, 
before entering any village whither he was bound with his show and his ape, he used to inform himself at the nearest village, or from the most likely person he could find, as to what particular things had happened there, and to whom. And, bearing them well in mind, the first thing he did was to exhibit his show. Sometimes one story, sometimes another, but all lively, amusing, and familiar. As soon as the exhibition was over, he brought forward the accomplishments of his ape, assuring the public that he divined all the past and the present, but as to the future he had no skill. For each question answered, he asked two rails, and for some he made a reduction, just as he happened to feel the pulse of the questioners. And when, now and then, he came to houses where things that he knew of had happened to the people living there, even if they did not ask him a question, not caring to pay for it, he would make the sign to the ape, and then declare that it had said so and so, which fitted the case exactly. In this way, he acquired a prodigious name, and all ran after him. On other occasions, being very crafty, he would answer in such a way that the answers suited the questions, and as no one cross-questioned him, or pressed him to tell how his ape divined, he made fools of them all, and filled his pouch. The instant he entered the inn, he knew Don Quixote and Sancho, and with that knowledge, it was easy for him to astonish them and all who were there. But it would have cost him dear had Don Quixote brought down his hand a little lower when he cut off King Marsilio's head and destroyed all his horsemen, as related in the preceding chapter. So much for Master Pedro and his ape. Now to return to Don Quixote of La Mancha. After he had left the inn, he determined to visit, first of all, the banks of the Ebro, and that neighbourhood, before entering the city of Sargosa, for the ample time there was still to spare, before the joust left him enough for all. With this object in view, he followed the road, and travelled along it for two days, without meeting any adventure worth committing to writing, until on the third day, as he was ascending a hill, he heard a great noise of drums, trumpets, and musket shots. At first he imagined some regiment of soldiers was passing that way, and to see them he spurred Rocinante and mounted the hill. On reaching the top, he saw at the foot of it over two hundred men, as it seemed to him, armed with weapons of various sorts, lances, crossbows, partisans, halberds, and pikes, and a few muskets, and a great many bucklers. He descended the slope, and approached the band near enough to see distinctly the flags, make out the colours and distinguish the devices they bore, especially one on a standard or ensign of white satin, on which there was painted, in a very lifelike style, an ass, like a little sard, with its head up, its mouth open and its tongue out, as if it were in the act and attitude of braying. And round it were inscribed in large characters these two lines. They did not bray in vain, our Alcades twain. From this device Don Quixote concluded that these people must be from the braying town. And he said so to Sancho, 
explaining to him what was written on the standard. At the same time, he observed that the man who had told them about the matter was wrong in saying that the two who brayed were regidors, for according to the lines of the standard, they were alcaldes. To which Sancho replied, Senor, there's nothing to stick at that, for maybe the regidors who brayed then came to be alcaldes of their town afterwards, and so they may go by both titles. Moreover, it has nothing to do with the truth of the story whether the brayers were alcaldes or regidors, provided, at any rate, they did bray, for an alcalde is just as likely to bray as a regidor. They perceived, in short, clearly, that the town which had been twitted had turned out to do battle with some other that had jeered it more than was fair or neighbourly. Don Quixote proceeded to join them, not a little to Sancho's uneasiness, for he never relished mixing himself up in expeditions of that sort. The members of the troop received him into the midst of them, taking him to be someone who was on their side. Don Quixote, putting up his visor, advanced with an easy bearing and demeanour to the standard with the ass, and all the chief men of the army gathered round him to look at him, staring at him with the usual amazement that everybody felt on seeing him for the first time. Don Quixote, seeing them examining him so attentively, and that none of them spoke to him or put any question to him, determined to take advantage of their silence. So, breaking his own, he lifted up his voice and said, Worthy sirs, I entreat you as earnestly as I can not to interrupt an argument I wish to address to you, until you find it displeases or wearies you. And if that come to pass, on the slightest hint you give me, I will put a seal upon my lips and a gag upon my tongue. They all bade him say what he liked, for they would listen to him willingly. With this permission, Don Quixote went on to say, I, sirs, am a knight-errant, whose calling is that of arms, and whose profession is to protect those who require protection, and give help to such as stand in need of it. Some days ago I became acquainted with your misfortune, and the cause which impels you to take up arms again and again to revenge yourselves upon your enemies. And having many times thought over your business in my mind, I find that, according to the laws of combat, you are mistaken in holding yourselves insulted. For a private individual cannot insult an entire community, unless it be by defying it collectively as a traitor, because he cannot tell who in particular is guilty of the treason for which he defies it. Of this we have an example in Don Diego Ordonez de Lara, who defied the whole town of Zamora, because he did not know that Valido Dolfez alone had committed the treachery of slaying his king, and therefore he defied them all, and the vengeance and the reply concerned all. Though to be sure, Senor Don Diego went rather too far. Indeed, very much beyond the limits of a defiance, for he had no occasion to defy the dead, all the waters, all the fishes, all those yet unborn, and all the rest of it has set forth. But let that pass, for when anger breaks out, there's no farther governor or bridle to check the tongue. The case being, then, that no one person can insult a kingdom, province, city, state, or entire community, 
it is clear that there is no reason for going out to avenge the defiance of such an insult, insomuch as it is not one. A fine thing it would be, if the people of the clock town were to be at loggerheads every moment with everyone who called them by that name, or the Casoleros, Berengeneros, Balanatos, Jaboneros, or the bearers of all the other names and titles that are always in the mouth of the boys and the common people. It would be a nice business indeed if all these illustrious cities were to take huff and revenge themselves and go about perpetually making trombones of their swords in every petty quarrel. No, no, God forbid! There are four things for which sensible men and well-ordered states ought to take up arms, draw their swords and risk their persons, lives and properties. The first is to defend the Catholic faith. The second to defend one's life which is in accordance with natural and divine law. The third, in defence of one's honour, family and property. The fourth, in the service of one's king, in a just war. And if to these we choose to add a fifth, which may be included in the second, in defence of one's country, to these five, as it were capital causes, there may be added some others that may be just and reasonable, and make it a duty to take up arms. But to take them up for trifles and things to laugh at and be amused by rather than offended, looks as though he did so who was altogether wanting in common sense. Moreover, to take an unjust revenge, and there cannot be any just one, is directly opposed to the sacred law that we acknowledge, wherein we are commanded to do good to our enemies and to love them that hate us a command which, though it seems somewhat difficult to obey, is only so to those who have in them less of God than of the world, and more of the flesh than of the spirit. For Jesus Christ, God and true man, who never lied, and could not and cannot lie, said, as our lawgiver, that his yoke was easy and his burden light. He would not, therefore, have laid any command upon us that it was impossible to obey, Thus, sirs, you are bound to keep quiet by human and divine law. The devil take me, said Sancho to himself at this, for this master of mine is a Tologian, or, if not, faith he's as like one as one egg is like another. Don Quixote stopped to take breath, and observing that silence was still preserved, had a mind to continue his discourse and would have done so had not Sancho interposed with his smartness. For he, seeing his master pause, took the lead, saying, My lord Don Quixote of La Mancha, who once was called the Knight of the Rueful Countenance, but now is called the Knight of the Lions, is a gentleman of great discretion, who knows Latin and his mother tongue like a bachelor, and in everything that he deals with or advises proceeds like a good soldier and has all the laws and ordinances of what they call combat at his fingers' ends. Say you have nothing to do but to let yourselves be guided by what he says, and on my head be it if it is wrong. Besides which, you have been told that it is a folly to take offence at merely hearing a bray. I remember, when I was a boy, I brayed as often as I had a fancy, without anyone hindering me, and so elegantly and naturally that when I brayed, all the asses in the town would bray. 
but I was none the less for that the son of my parents, who were greatly respected. And though I was envied because of my gift, by more than one of the high and mighty ones of the town, I did not care two farthings for it, and that you may see, I am telling the truth. Wait a bit, and listen, for this art, like swimming, once learnt, is never forgotten. And then, taking hold of his nose, he began to bray so vigorously that all the valleys around rang again. One of those, however, that stood near him, fancying he was mocking them, lifted up a long staff he had in his hand, and smote him such a blow with it that Sancho dropped helpless to the ground. Don Quixote, seeing him so roughly handled, attacked the man who had struck him, lance in hand. But so many thrust themselves between them that he could not avenge him. Far from it, finding a shower of stones rained upon him, and crossbows and muskets unnumbered levelled at him, he wheeled Rocinante around, and as fast as his best gallop could take him, fled from the midst of them, commending himself to God with all his heart to deliver him out of this peril, in dread every step of some ball coming in at his back and coming out at his breast, and every minute drawing his breath to see whether it had gone from him. The members of the band, however, were satisfied with seeing him take to flight, and did not fire on him. They put up Sancho, scarcely restored to his senses, on his ass, and let him go after his master. Not that he was sufficiently in his wits to guide the beast, but Dapple followed the footsteps of Rocinante, from whom he could not remain a moment separated. Don Quixote, having got some way off, looked back, and seeing Sancho coming, waited for him as he perceived that no one followed him. The men of the troop stood their ground till night, and as the enemy did not come out to battle, they returned to their town, exulting, and had they been aware of the ancient custom of the Greeks, they would have erected a trophy on the spot. Chapter 28 Of matters that Ben and Jaily says, he who reads them will know, if he reads them with attention. When the brave man flees, treachery is manifest, and it is for wise men to reserve themselves for better occasions. This proved to be the case with Don Quixote, who, giving way before the fury of the town folk and the hostile intentions of the angry troop, took to flight and without a thought of Sancho, or the danger in which he was leaving him, retreated to such a distance as he thought made him safe. Sancho, lying across his ass, followed him, as has been said, and at length came up, having by this time recovered his senses, and on joining him let himself drop off Dabble at Rocinante's feet, sore, bruised, and belaboured. Don Quixote dismounted to examine his wounds, but finding him whole from head to foot, he said to him angrily enough, In an evil hour didst thou take to braying, Sancho? Where hast thou learned that it is well done to mention the rope in the house of the man that has been hanged? To the music of brays, what harmonies could thou expect to get but cudgels? Give thanks to God, Sancho, that they signed the cross on thee just now with a stick, and did not mark thee per signum crucis with a cutlass. 
I'm not equal to answering, said Sancho, for I feel as if I was speaking through my shoulders. Let us mount and get away from this. I'll keep from braying, but not from saying that knights errant fly and leave their good squires to be pounded like privet or made meal of at the hands of their enemies. He does not fly who retires, returned Don Quixote, for I would have thee know, Sancho, that the valour which is not based upon a foundation of prudence is called rashness, and the exploits of the rash man are to be attributed rather to good fortune than to courage. And so I own that I retired, but not that I fled. And therein I have followed the example of many valiant men who have reserved themselves for better times. The histories are full of instances of this, but as it would not be any good to thee or pleasure to me, I will not recount them to thee now. Sancho was by this time mounted with the help of Don Quixote, who then himself mounted Rocinante, and at a leisurely pace they proceeded to take shelter in a grove, which was in sight about a quarter of a league off. Every now and then Sancho gave vent to deep sighs and dismal groans. And on Don Quixote asking him what caused such acute suffering, he replied that, from the end of his backbone up to the nape of his neck, he was so sore that it nearly drove him out of his senses. The cause of that soreness, said Don Quixote, will be, no doubt, that the staff wherewith they smote thee, being a very long one, it caught thee all down the back, where all the parts that are sore are situated, and had it reached any further, thou wouldst be sorer still. By God, said Sancho, your worship has relieved me of a great doubt, and cleared up the point for me in elegant style. Body o me, is the cause of my soreness such a mystery that there's any need to tell me I am sore everywhere the staff hit me. If it was my ankles that pained me, there might be something in going divining why they did. But it is not much divine that I am sore where they thrashed me. By my faith, master, mine, the ills of others hang by a hair every day. I am discovering more and more how little I have to hope for from keeping company with your worship. For if this time you have allowed me to be drubbed, the next time, or a hundred times more, will have the blanketings of the other day over again, and all the other pranks which, if they have fallen on my shoulders now, will be thrown in my teeth by and by. I would do a great deal better, if I was not an ignorant brute that will never do any good all my life. I would do a great deal better, I say, to go home to my wife and children, and support them, and bring them up on what God may please to give me instead of following your worship along roads that lead nowhere and paths that are none at all, with little to drink and less to eat. And then, when it comes to sleeping, measure out seven feet on the earth, brother squire, and if that's not enough for you, take as many more, for you may have it all your own way and stretch yourself to your heart's content. Oh, that I could see burnt and turned to ashes, the first man that meddled with knight-errantry, or at any rate the first who chose to be squires to such fools as all the knight-errants of the past times have must have been. Of those of the present day I say nothing, because as your worship is one of them, I respect them, and because I know your worship knows a point more than the devil in all you say and think. I would lay a good wager with you, Sancho, said Don Quixote, that now that you are talking on without anyone to stop you, 
you don't feel a pain in your whole body. Talk away, my son. Say whatever comes into your head or mouth, for so long as you feel no pain, the irritation your impertinences give me will be a pleasure to me. And if you are so anxious to go home to your wife and children, God forbid that I should prevent you. You have money of mine? See how long it is since we left our village this third time, and how much you can and ought to earn every month, and pay yourself out of your own hand. When I worked for Tom Carrasco, the father of bachelor Samson Carrasco, that your worship knows, replied Sancho, I used to earn two ducats a month, besides my food. I can't tell what I earn with your worship, though I know a knight-errant squire has harder times of it than he who works for a farmer. For after all, we who work for farmers, however much we toil all day, at the worst, at night we have our olla supper, and sleep in a bed, which I have not slept in since I have been in your worship's service. If it wasn't the short time we were in Don Diego de Miranda's house, and the feast I had with the skimmings I took off Camacho's pots, and what I ate, drank, and slept in Bessillo's house, all the rest of the time I have been sleeping on the hard ground, under the open sky exposed to what they call the inclemencies of heaven, keeping life in me with scraps of cheese and crusts of bread, and drinking water either from the brooks or from the springs that we come to on these by-paths we travel. I own, Sancho, said Don Quixote, that all thou sayest is true. How much thinkest thou ought I to give thee over and above what Tom Carrasco gave thee? I think, said Sancho, that if your worship was to add on two rails a month, I'd consider myself well paid. That is, as far as the wages of my labour go. But to make up to me for your worship's pledge and promise to me to give me the government of an island, it would be fair to add six rails more, making thirty in all. Very good, said Don Quixote. It is twenty-five days since we left our village, so reckon up, Sancho, according to the wages you have made out for yourself, and see how much I owe you in proportion, and pay yourself, as I said before, out of your own hand. Oh, body, oh me, said Sancho. But your worship is very much out in that reckoning, for when it comes to the promise of the island, we must count from the day your worship promised it to me, to this present hour we are at now. Well, how long is it, Sancho, since I promised it to you, said Don Quixote. If I remember rightly, said Sancho, it must be over twenty years, three days more or less. Don Quixote gave himself a great slap on the forehead, and began to laugh heartily, and said he, Why, I have not been wandering either in the Sierra Morena, or in the whole course of our sallies, but barely two months. And thou sayest, Sancho, that it is twenty years since I promised thee the island, I believe now thou wouldst have all the money thou hast of mine go in thy wages. If so, and if that be thy pleasure, I give it to thee now, once and for all. And much good may it do thee, for so long as I see myself rid of such a good-for-nothing squire, I'll be glad to be left a pauper without a rap. But tell me, thou perverter of the squirely rules of knight-errantry, where hast thou ever seen or read that any knight-errant squire made terms with his lord? You must give me so much a month for serving you. Plunge, scoundrel, rogue, monster, 
for such I take thee to be, plunge, I say, into the mare magnum of their histories. And if thou shalt find that any squire ever said, or thought what thou hast said now, I will let thee nail it on my forehead, and give me over and above four sound slaps in the face. Turn the rein or the halter of thy dapple, and be gone home, for one single step further thou shalt not make in my company. O bread thanklessly received, O promises ill bestowed, O man more beast than human being! Now, when I was about to raise thee to such a position, that in spite of thy wife, thy would call thee my lord, thou art leaving me. Thou art going now, when I had a firm and fixed intention of making thee lord of the best island in the world. Well, as thou hast thyself said before now, honey is not for the mouth of the ass. As thou art, as that wilt be, and as thou wilt end when the course of thy life is run. For I know it will come to its close before thou dost perceive or discern that thou art a beast. Sancho regarded Don Quixote earnestly while he was giving him this rating, and was so touched by remorse that the tears came to his eyes, and in a piteous and broken voice he said to him, Master mine, I confess that, to be a complete ass, all I want is a tail. If your worship will only fix one on me, I'll look on it as rightly placed, and I'll serve you as an ass all the remaining days of my life. Forgive me, and have pity on my folly, and remember I know but little. And if I talk much, it's more from infirmity than malice. But he who sins and mends commends himself to God. I should have been surprised, Sancho, said Don Quixote, if thou hadst not introduced some bit of a proverb into thy speech. Well, well, I forgive thee, provided thou dost mend, and not show thyself in future so fond of thine own interest. But try to be of good cheer, and take good heart, and encourage thyself to look forward to the fulfilment of my promises, which, by being delayed, does not become impossible. Sancho said he would do so, and keep up his heart as best he could. They then entered the grove, and Don Quixote settled himself at the foot of an elm, and Sancho at that of a beech, for trees of this kind and others like them always have feet, but no hands. Sancho passed the night in pain, but with the evening dews the blow of the staff made itself felt all the more. Don Quixote passed it in his never-failing meditations, but for all that they had some winks of sleep, and with the appearance of daylight they pursued their journey in quest of the banks of the famous Ebro, where that befell them which will be told in the following chapter. End of section 15, which is chapters 27 and 28. Read by Reynard.